Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Last week, we started a new series focused on our relationships and how we as Christ followers should conduct ourselves in those relationships. Pastor Quint Lindblad, the executive pastor at Eerie First, is leading this series that we call Live a Life Worthy. Last week, he started out with three important steps that serve as the foundation of developing godly relationships, humility, patience, and what the Bible calls bearing with one another in love. Today, he's discussing what happens when relationships get hard, because eventually, all relationships get hard. How do we maintain our happiness and gratitude through the growing pains of relationships? That's what he's going to discuss today. So let's get started and discover more about how to live a life worthy of the gospel. Here's Pastor Quint. We are in a series right now called Live a Life Worthy. This is actually a series on relationships. And if you weren't with us last week, uh, just to uh, take away any fears or anything, we're not just talking about romantic relationships or things like that, but just our interpersonal dynamics with each other, with people. Um, And so we've titled this series Live a Life Worthy because we find in several of the Apostle Paul's letters uh, that exact phrase, live a life worthy. And so Uh, What we are studying and what we are seeing is that Paul actually wrote to these different churches that were all facing different circumstances, different environments, but he gave this same and very similar instruction, all right? And so uh, last week we read from all three of them, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We spent most of our time in the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to be in Philippians uh, looking at what he has to say, but just by Quick way of review, last week, the three traits that we looked at from Ephesians were being humble, being gentle, and being patient, okay? That's what shows up in the book of Ephesians in that letter. And so, really, I think we could all agree that if we're coming into a friendship or our marriage, okay, or any working relationship, any relationship at all, with the three traits of humility, gentleness, and patience, it's going to be kind of hard to screw that up, right? I mean, those are really good starting points for engaging in any type of relationship, okay? But what we see as Paul has written these letters, when we say he's written these letters to the church, what we mean is to churchgoers, to people, okay? These are instructions to the people who call these churches home, which would be you and me. He's written these letters to us for our instruction and for our edification. So uh, he sent these similar instructions, but I want to give you just a quick history lesson on these three different cities. When we say Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, we're talking about letters written to churches in Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossae. So let me just give you a quick background, and you will see, I think, real quickly, that regardless of the circumstance that they found themselves in, the instructions were the same and with good reason. So Ephesus was a city that was the center of trade and commerce when he wrote that letter. It was a central port for all of the Roman Empire. It had a massive theater that could seat 25,000 people and a large temple to the goddess Artemis. Slave labor was the norm. Ethnic rivalry would rise up and then be squashed by the Roman army, okay? People in this city chased peace either through magic, substances, pleasure, or money. So this was the culture that the church that we learned from last week, the letter that we learned from last week, was addressed to. This is the situation the church of Ephesus had to deal with as they pursued their new faith, all right? Now contrast that with Philippi, and we're going to be in Philippians today, But this was a city that was full of fiercely patriotic 
war veterans, okay? Most of which despised Jews like Paul and were not a fan. They were not fond of new converts to the way, which is what Christianity was called early on. It was called the way, okay? And so you think that came from the message translation. It actually was called the way, okay? But anyways, uh, festivals took place to honor patriotism in Philippi and Christians wouldn't participate. Okay, And because of that, they were looked down on. They were considered to be antisocial, unpatriotic. And if that's not enough, rumors were spread that Christians were actually participating in all types of unspeakable things rather than participating with society. All right, So that was the culture that the Philippian church had to deal with. And then next, and we'll be in this book next week, but the church at Colossae. Colossae was small, and it existed in the same territory as large and grand Ephesus, okay? The struggles that Christians faced in that small town were mostly defined by false teachers who were diminishing who Jesus was. They were declaring him to be on par with other important figures, okay? Like Buddha, Moses, Socrates, Muhammad. They were presenting Jesus as important, but not central to everything. And again, in that letter, just like in Ephesians, just like in Philippians, and then again in Colossians, Paul writes these four words, live a life worthy. Okay, And so the reason for our little history lesson to get things started today is to show that cultural struggles and polarizing situations are not something new to us in America in 2023. Okay, sorry, but it's kind of been happening for a little while. Now, I wanted to dig into the backgrounds of these cities to set the stage a little better so you know the context of who Paul is writing to. If you have ever heard the phrase, I mean, the Bible, like, it's really old. Like, does it really land for us today? Let's just review our examples real quick. Real quick. Example number one, a booming economy in a massive city filled with entertainment and tourism. Citizens chasing peace and happiness through money, pleasure, magic, or entertainment. Example number two, extreme patriotism and an unaccepting approach to Christians who did not want to participate in the cultural norms of the day. And then example number three, a culture that minimizes who Jesus is and what he did and tries to normalize him as being on par with other big names. I'm going to go with check, check, and check. Okay, thanks for writing these letters, Paul. It turns out there really is nothing new under the sun. Okay, and so, and, and we could look at Galatia, we could look at Corinth, we could look at Rome, we could look at all of the letters and we would see over and over this reality that culture will always spin contrary to the gospel, okay? Culture will always spin contrary to the gospel. In fact, last week, we all chanted together, the gospel changes everything, and we could just go ahead and add to that, and culture will always spin contrary to the gospel, okay? Because of man's sin nature, because of our brokenness, it is always going to take effort, and intentionality, okay, for us to live our lives worthy of the gospel. Let me repeat that. Because of man's sin nature and because of our brokenness, it is always going to take you and I, Christians, followers of Jesus, effort and intentionality to live our lives worthy of the gospel. It is not going to happen on its own. It is not going to happen by accident. It is not going to happen because we create a culture that is so affirming of it and makes it easier. Advancing the kingdom and living a life worthy of the gospel is a full contact sport, okay? It is a full participation sport, and it takes effort, it takes energy, 
and it takes the Holy Spirit's empowerment. But at the end of the day, we are called to engage with, witness to, and by God's grace, disciple people into knowing who their Savior is and who their Creator is. Let me repeat that. By God's grace, we are called to engage with, witness to, and disciple people into knowing who their Savior is and who their Creator is. So you might say, I thought this was a series on relationships, Pastor Quint. How does this parse out in our relationships? Well, let me ask you this. Who do you have relationships with? You have relationships with people who exist inside our culture. You have relationships with people who live and move and breathe within whatever society is doing right now. Let me just get real practical for a minute. Who's coming over for Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday? Really? Nobody again? I prepped you with that last week. Okay, I'm shocked. All right. How do the people who will be guests in your home or the people that you will go to their home, how do they believe in light of the culture in which we live? And how do you believe in light of the culture in which we live? The world we live in is filled with people that we are going to relate to and and that are influenced by this world that we live in, all right? Now, like I said, we were in Ephesians 4 last week, and then we read the passages from Philippians and Colossians. I'm not going to do all that again this morning, but let's spend our time in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. I want you to remember, though, context is essential. The reason for our walk down memory lane, our history lesson, to understand all of the context is so that we now know that the individuals Paul was writing to in Philippians were facing immense opposition, okay? They were facing terrible rumors being spread about them, and yet we can, we can now read his instructions with all of that in mind. We also know, just fun to add this, we also know where Paul was when he wrote the letter. He was in jail, okay? So he was actually in an even worse situation And so let's just read verses 27 through 30 of chapter 1 with all of this in mind. It says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Well, that is encouraging, isn't it? Really? Okay. We'll keep reading. We're going to get there, guys. All right. Remember, the lack of full-blown participation in their overly patriotic community had created an environment where these Christians were so opposed. They were looked down on, lied about so much more. And none of this is lost on the Apostle Paul. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. Verse 3, Paul starts out. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you jump down to verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Okay, 
And then if I may, I just want to read you this. This is from Eugene Peterson in his introduction to Philippians in the message translation. He says this, okay? He says, this is Paul's happiest letter. And the happiness is infectious. Before we've read a dozen lines, we, be, we begin to feel the joy ourselves, the dance of words and the exclamations of delight have a way of getting inside of us. Is that how you would have summed it up? I think I would have needed five or six or 10 more passes through Philippians 1 to land on Paul's just so happy, okay? Not that he's not happy. I'm not arguing with Eugene Peterson. I'm just saying, like, he's talking about being in jail and opposition, and you're called to suffer with Christ. And yet, the, the synopsis that Eugene Peterson comes up with when he sees all this, he's like, Paul's saying all this with all, we know all the context, but he's just happy. He just trusts God that much. It actually made me think of this image that I saw last week after church. It says, where did you find that? I've been searching for it everywhere. I created it myself. And that person's holding happiness, okay? So, while I would not suggest that Paul unto himself created his own happiness, he definitely chose to let Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit determine how his life view was going to be regardless of his circumstances, okay? What he was not doing was waiting for his circumstances to change, waiting for a better day to come around so he could be happier. He knew that happiness and joy must come from somewhere other than our external situations. Happiness and joy must come from somewhere other than our external situations. And we need to know the same thing. You see, Paul knew these unique churches. He knew their unique challenges. And as a pastor, as their shepherd, a shepherd of theirs, who cared for and loved his church, he addressed them how he knew they needed to be addressed. He was showing this level of empathy, okay, that says, I get it. It's not always easy. It's not a walk in the park. He goes so far as to say this later on in chapter one. Some people are out there preaching Christ from ill motives, but even in that, I choose to rejoice because Christ is being preached. So he is empathizing with them, but he's showing them the bigger picture, okay? Now, don't think that I forgot. We are still talking about relationships here. That is really the point, but let me just read you some statements that came to me as I was preparing this, and that'll help set up the rest of this morning's message. Statement number one, everyone wants a testimony, but very few want to face a test. Oh, you're all right. Now, see, I told you we'd get there. Just wait. I got four more. Everyone, I should save this one. Everyone wants a ministry and to make an impact. Very few want to be pastored. Oh, a little quieter, okay. Everyone wants a victory, but very few want to struggle. Everyone wants respect, but very few want to submit. And lastly, this is a Mark Batterson quote, everyone wants a miracle, but no one wants to be in a situation that necessitates a miracle. Listen, I think a really good starting point for us in trying to understand the full scope of what Paul is trying to explain here is that what if, let me ask you in the form of a question, what if part of the purpose in our struggles in various relationships was actually part of our refining process? What if part of the purpose in our struggles in various relationships was actually part of our refining process? Remember, we all want testimonies. 
We're just not thrilled with another test. We all want miracles. We just don't want to need one. We all want kingdom impact. We just don't love it when our pastor challenges our approach or our attitude or calls out sin in our life. But what if before jumping to the defensive on all of those things, we asked our Lord and Savior, what am I supposed to be learning here? What is the big picture here that I'm not seeing? It would almost be stating it too simply to say that Paul's approach from his jail cell was one that considered God's bigger plan and not just the immediate struggle. Of course, that's what Paul did. He wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. So Paul's view was so macro. It was so the gospel going forth to impact the world. But we understand when we read this in context that that was what, was Paul, was, what Paul was trying to communicate. That the, the thing that's most in front of you is not the most real thing in your life necessarily. The thing that you can see the clearest doesn't mean that's the thing that is most immediate to you. In fact, we just talked about this in a staff meeting. We're, we're actually going through some of these uh, letters. And um, you know that down here in verse 21, it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you heard that verse? You understand now that Paul was not writing that for your coffee mug that you're going to drink from tomorrow morning? Do you understand that he did not think this is going to make a really good t-shirt in 1997 or in 2023? Do you understand he was facing his actual death? He was in jail. He was facing literal opposition to who he was. And so let me ask it again. Could some of our, let me ask a follow-up question to our previous question about the refining process. In light of relationships, I mean, we're talking about uh, the culture they lived in, the struggle, the jail cell Paul was in. But let me ask you this in light of relationships, okay? Could some of our refining process be delivered to us through the relationships that we have with each other? That seems tame compared to what our friends in Philippians 1 had to learn through, okay? Could some of our refining process be delivered to us through the relationships that we have with each other? What if we engaged our difficult relationships with a hopeful optimism, knowing that God is at work, instead of this begrudged, poor me attitude that says, I just don't know why this person's coming against me, why this situation's always coming against me. What if we looked at what God might be trying to do through that process, okay? What if we entered, I'm going there again, what if we entered Thanksgiving dinner with those crazy relatives excited about who God is going to turn us into by enduring that process, okay? By going through all that. You almost think I have the worst Thanksgiving. We actually have the best Thanksgiving. I love my in-laws. It's fantastic, okay? But I'm talking about your in-laws, okay? <laughs> by the way, if you're sitting there going, Pastor Quint, you sat, I mean, who are these crazy relatives that could show up to your dinners? If you can't think of them at your dinner, it's because you're that crazy relative, okay? <laughs> You understand that? Okay. All right. Of course, God had a bigger picture in mind for the Philippian believers as they struggled through a culture that shamed them, lied about them, and embarrassed them. And that is what Paul is speaking to so strongly here. He is working hard to communicate that the struggle is part of our journey. And we don't need to resent that. We can embrace that. We know that. I mean, he says here, uh, that you were called to struggle with Christ, okay, at the end of this chapter. And so, 
Too often, I think that we want to rush the breakthrough, rush to the breakthrough. I just want the breakthrough because we're so uncomfortable, but we need to be willing to trust his bigger plan and his timeline, okay? I have just two more thoughts before we close. We talked last week about the instruction from Ephesians 4, bearing with one another in love, and I read to you from my King James Bible, the uh, translation or the explanation of that was just put up with each other, which I have to say, I've received more feedback about that in the last seven days than probably any other facet of that message, okay? So if you didn't catch that, go back and uh, check it out. But I want to just peek into Philippians 2. We're in Philippians 1 this morning, but let me just read to you part of Philippians 2, the first four verses. This is from the message translation and kind of in the same vein of last week's instruction that said, bearing with one another in love, what does what does that mean? And it means, according to Oxford Publishing, it means put up with each other, okay? But Ephesians 2, this is what Paul writes. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Okay. Paul's laying it all out right here, all right? And I'm not... I'm not here to say that this would discount our emotions or our struggles or our feelings. All of that is valid. All of that deserves to be processed through in different situations, okay? But after being capped in empathy in chapter one, after Paul saying, I understand your struggle, I'm struggling too, but we're called to suffer with Christ, okay? But after all of that, chapter two starts like this. And I'm paraphrasing a paraphrase, I understand that. But guys, if you could just zoom out of the struggle, just zoom way out of the weeds that you find yourselves in and really look at the big picture. Look at all that God has done and is offering into your life by the gift of the church. Look at all that he's done with that beautiful gospel that changes everything. And because of all that, take the low seat. Get rid of your selfish ambitions. Get rid of your personal agendas and just choose to love each other because Christ first loved you. And because of all that he has done, no matter what happens, live your lives worthy of the gospel and put each other first. Care for each other, love each other, and work hard towards unity with each other. You see, we talked earlier about Paul's apparent happiness uh, that, that shows up in chapter one. And so in my research this week, or in my prep, I research. I was on Google, okay? And I type in relationship between happiness, and I didn't even finish the sentence, and it auto-filled, and gratitude. Relationship between happiness and gratitude, okay? And you might be thinking, wow, this is cliche. Thanksgiving's on Thursday. Pastor Andrew had gratitude as one of the songs we were going to sing. Pastor Quint's preaching on gratitude. Listen, if it's cliche, it's only because the Holy Spirit is not above cliches. Because, no, I'm being serious. Because I asked him and he said, I didn't even realize that it was the week before Thanksgiving when he put this song on the set. And I didn't plan to go here, okay? But I did plan to be in Philippians. And I did use the Bibles that I used to research. And 
Eugene Peterson made the point that happiness was the starting point for this letter. And so in going deeper down that, I found that happiness is a byproduct of gratitude, okay? Isn't it so true that when we are the most grateful, we are the most happy? Remember last week we talked about when we're the most humble, remembering our lowly start, we're the most gentle. When we're the most humble and the most gentle, we're kind of just by default, really patient people. And isn't it also true that when we are the most grateful for all that God has done in our lives and all the people that he surrounded us with and all the amazing things he's doing, we're just happy. And isn't it amazing how all of this works when we continue to develop these attributes and these virtues in our lives, they just create more and more great attributes and virtues. And so I'm not, I'm not throwing a cliche your way of let's just be grateful. It's the week of Thanksgiving. That is not the point. The point is that let's look at the relationships that God has given us. Let's look at the refining and the sanctifying he's trying to do in our lives. And let's embrace all of that together as one, one thing. You see, Paul was apparently happy, even though he was writing from the jail cell, facing his eventual death, but he still saw all that God had done and was doing in his life. And so he chose to focus on that. How much more can we do the same? How much more can we do the same in all of our relationships? You know, I have hard relationships. I can be hard to be in relationship with. Nobody say amen, okay? I'm a human being just like you. But the big picture, the target that I'm called to aim for so that my life might be worthy of this gospel, and it's the same target you are called to live towards, it's the same target that these Ephesians and these Philippians and these Colossian believers were called to live for, is one that is grateful for the challenges because they aren't the most real thing in our life. Our salvation and our identity in Jesus Christ is the most real thing in our life. So when we know that, we, we can trust God with how it will or won't turn out. We don't have to control the outcome because we can, because to say it simply, it, it, it is this, the more tethered we are to the Father, the more confident we can be in the process. The more tethered we are to the Father, the more confident we can be in the process. And so to close this morning, I do wanna sing this song. It's called Gratitude. And we're gonna sing a portion of it. But before we sing and before the band uh, kind of takes it away, I wanna just read the words to you. And, and in light of everything that we've learned, everything from these Philippian believers from this letter that Paul wrote to them, just hear these words. Brandon Lake wrote, all my words fall short. I've got nothing new. How could I express my gratitude? I can sing these songs as I often do but every song must end and you never do. See, how do we continue to live our lives worthy? How do we continue to take gratitude out those doors when the band stops playing? It's by living our lives worthy. It's by seeing that through humility and gentleness and patience and, and happiness and gratitude, by, by putting all these things into our relationships because Christ is the source of them, okay? we will start to, to truly know what it is to live our lives worthy. And so let's just sing 
this song this morning and remember all that God has done for us, the places that he's put us, the people that he's put around us, okay? And let's just praise him. Let me, let, let me pray as you stand this morning, we're ready to sing. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your patience with us, your gentleness with us, your humility, Lord, as you came and died for us. We thank you for your joy that you give us that we might be able to live happy. We might be able to live grateful for all that you've done. And so, Lord, we just choose in this moment to worship you, to focus on you, and to thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's worship this morning.
Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you'd give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.